0: And now it's time to get to work.
3: Adam, in the last few days, we've seen the Broncos are rumored to trade up in the first round for an offensive tackle. You and I were told by Benjamin Albright from News Radio 850 KOA and the Pro Football Network that the Broncos could potentially move up to get a receiver. Woody Page. This week has said that he initially thinks the Broncos will trade down like they did in 2019, but he'll know more and have the answer on Saturday. And, it, and of course, there's also the potential that they stay put at 15. Needless to say, no one has a clue what the Broncos are going to do at 15 and it's lion season, as Scotty Payne from Mile High Report likes to say. And lion season is the week before the draft, which we are in as we speak,
2: yeah. I, I love that when you like when you look at um, the news reports, news reports, right? It's all opinion based, b s. and and you really have no idea what anybody's going to do. I was watching the NFL network,, um, I want to say yesterday morning. Uh, you know, this stay-at-home stuff has got got my days all running together. And uh, yesterday being, I believe, Monday, uh, April thirteenth. Sure, why not? And I think it was Daniel Jeremiah who said that the the trade that he thinks should happen is that the Saints should trade up with the Denver Broncos and draft. Uh, what's the quarterback's name from Utah? Uh, was it was it Bryce Love? I'm trying. Jordan Love. Jordan Love. Thank you. I'm Bryce Love. I don't know who that is. From uh, Utah State. Yes, from Utah State. Which I, I sort of I was I watched it because he I, he said Broncos and I thought oh I want to watch this because I like the Broncos of course, and then he said that they would trade with this it, it got very sort of convoluted and and there were too many pieces and I thought to myself well this is just this is just wrong this is just false there's just nothing there
3: how about and- this for a derailed a derailed conversation point so there's a connect a, a, a slight connection to Utah State with the Broncos with a former color commentator in the 80s who worked with Dick Enberg and Merlin Olson.
2: Oh, who often used to say, and probably still does say, I'm sure, that Randy Gratishar is one of the best players he's ever seen play football and should be in the Hall of Fame. Look how we did that. We turned that conversation into a plug for Randy Gratishar to the Hall of Fame, which hasn't worked yet, but we're going to keep trying. I, I guess to sort of go back to the original point here, we are at a point in the NFL season or the NFL year that nobody says anything that matters. There's so many options and so many things out there and so many variables that every single report that you hear, you have to take with a grain of salt because anything could happen. Any, at any point in the next week, someone could pick up the phone and call John Elway and make him an offer for the 15th pick. And he could make a trade or, or, he could, he could just fall in love with a player and decide that he wants to do the same thing, pick up the phone and make a trade and trade up or trade back. But it all depends on so many different things that everybody is just guessing at this point. You're just throwing stuff up on the wall and seeing what will stick. And at this point, nothing really sticks. You just have to go off of intuition and what you think is best for the team and what they need. And obviously, it's wide receiver, offensive tackle, and trade back for, I don't know, offensive tackle? I have no idea. So at this point, everything that we talk about when it comes to the draft, while it's incredibly interesting and a lot of fun, doesn't really doesn't really come with anything other than, hey, what do you think about this? Uh, which is one of the things we love about having Trevor Sycamore on. When he comes on, hopefully he'll be on uh, next week. And beyond that, eh, you know, it's just a fun conversation.
3: The thing to keep in mind is, especially with Albert Breer's report, and Albert Breer is a fantastic reporter. He he definitely has connections. He has connections in Denver when he was with the NFL Network when he would do reports from the Broncos. So he would he obviously has connections. But the thing that you have to take with any report, this week especially, is you don't know where it's coming from. So who is telling him, Albert Breer, that the Broncos are going to trade up? Is it coming from other teams? Because if it's coming from other teams, that's to put out that, hey, maybe if you want to get a tackle, if the Broncos are looking to trade up, maybe you should move up. So maybe it's coming from the teams who want to potentially trade down and have teams move up. So always keep that in mind with reports, especially this week, because teams are starting to hear – what other teams are going to do. So they're trying to 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 get it out there that, hey, John Elway and the Broncos might be looking to trade up for a tackle. They're not. But if you want to get this tackle, you better trade up with us to get it or trade up above us to get it. And one thing I put in our Slack channel, our MHR Slack channel, is one one thing that I thought about is maybe Elway is putting this out there, so if teams want to get a tackle, it keeps the receivers for him to pick at fifteen.
2: Sure. I, you know it's what's fascinating. maybe this is the most fascinating thing. Like you've got guys that will go through and uh, they'll watch film on every single player and they'll do mock draft after mock draft after mock draft after mock draft and 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 post them on twitter and and do all those things. You don't need to look much further than our own Joe rolls for that kind of stuff and that's all fascinating it's all really interesting for a lot of people but maybe the most interesting thing that we have coming from the NFL draft and the information that comes out of it is the disinformation campaign right the 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 misleading information that teams will leak in the hopes that other teams will react to it and they're all and they're all doing it right every team has some type of disinformation campaign going on where they are Working very hard to convince everybody else of one thing while maybe they're doing something else. And we have seen that the Broncos have been good at that in the past, and we've also seen that they've been bad at it in the past. When they drafted Garrett Bowles, for example, there was no doubt in anybody's mind that the pick was Garrett Bowles. And when it came time to make the pick, even though Ryan Ramchick was still on the board, they picked Garrett Bowles, and everybody knew that's what was going to happen. And while you may have been disappointed as a fan, and you may still be disappointed, who knows, you knew what was going to happen. That seems to be John Elway's MO more than other GMs, but perhaps he's he's maneuvering. Maybe he's doing something. Who knows what's going to happen? But it is one of those fascinating things to note, that while all the other teams in the league seem to be doing these, uh, these sort of disinformation campaigns, this putting information out and seeing who will bite on this and who will take that information and who might make a move or jump or anything like that. The Broncos have been pretty, pretty transparent, or maybe they just telegraphed their picks really well. Like you kind of knew what they wanted to do. I, th- I think last year with the Noah Fant pick, that was a bit of a surprise, right? I don't think anybody knew that was going to happen except for Woody Page, right? Woody Page seemed to know what was going on. And then they ended up with Drew Locke and Dalton Reiser and those two were kind of telegraphed. So it is sort of interesting to see how the Broncos go about doing this and how John Elway and Vic Fangio are going to coordinate this draft and whether or not you're going to get a lot of uh, sort of misleading, mis- you know misinformation here, uh, You know, look over there while we do this sleight of hand stuff, or if it's just we know the Broncos need a tackle and a wide receiver and we know that that's what they're going to do.
3: But I think when you go back to January, and we have touched on this multiple times, The one thing that John Elway and Vic Fangio both said at their season-ending news conferences for the 2019 regular season was they needed to get a difference maker on offense. They needed to get speed. They needed to get a threat. They needed to get somebody who helped the offense score points. They've said that since January. That was the tell.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think when when we talk about this, that's sort of the – the point that I'm making with the Garrett Bowles stuff. When they picked Garrett Bowles, the, the talk from the, the moment the season was over until the draft was, we need a left tackle, right? The, the Denver Broncos need uh, uh, an offensive lineman who can hold down that left tackle position. And Garrett Bowles was the was the guy that they fell in love with and everybody knew it. Same concept here, right? Same Same thing that we're seeing here. Ever since January, just like you said, we've known because the Broncos have said it, they need to score points. And how are they going to keep up with teams like the Kansas City Chiefs? And you need to look no further than that. Well, you keep up by grabbing a, uh, an offensive weapon that will stretch the defense and allow you to uh, help your young quarterback grow and put points on the board. And a wide receiver seems to be the best option. Offensive tackle's good there too because you're protecting your quarterback. I totally get that. If you're somebody who is, who is in on them drafting a, an offensive lineman with their first pick, fine more power to you I just don't
3: see it in this draft and that gets into what we were going to talk talk about at this point and that's where do we think the Broncos go with that 15th pick what do they do and what do we want them to do and I will say right now as we've talked about on previous podcasts we want the Broncos to move up to get Isaiah Simmons and I know out, all the draft Knicks out there are going to be like, you don't move up for an inside linebacker. You just don't do it. Yeah, well, as Nick Kendall from Mile High Huddle pointed out on his Twitter feed, he had a breakdown of the, of the places that Clemson had Isaiah Simmons. The number one spot that the Clemson defense had Simmons at in the 2019 season was slot cornerback
2: just blows your mind when you hear that too, because he's such a freak. He's such a an athletic freak that you can put him almost anywhere on the field and he's going to be successful in some way. Uh, I, I do think in the NFL he wouldn't fit at slot, at slot corner uh, just because the, the speed is different. That's one of the things you always talk about, the, the jump from college football to the NFL, especially in those skill position players. But maybe... I mean, he is that good. He is.
3: I wouldn't rule it out. I,
2: exactly. You, and why would you? And and that's sort of the point that we've made about Isaiah Simmons since the national championship game that they lost was that the best player on that field that night wasn't Joe Burrow. In my opinion, it was Isaiah Simmons. He just happened to be on the losing team. And if the Bron- that that's the one guy that if the Broncos did something drastic to move up and get him, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be upset by that. I, that wouldn't bother me in the, in the slightest, but I think you and I would both agree, and and probably everybody who listens to this would agree, that's that's not going to happen. That's that's what my grandfather would call a pipe dream, right? Those are those are pipe dreams. We don't we know that's not really going to happen. If it did, woohoo! But come on, realistically, you got to move, set in, right?
3: They'd have to move up to the number three pick with the Lions to get Isaiah Simmons, and they probably and have
2: to get rid of a couple of first round picks, like
3: to make that happen. Yeah, it, it's, it's so it so. As much as, I, as much as I would love to see the combination of Isaiah Simmons and Vic Fangio to have that kind of chess piece in Vic Fangio's defense with a defensive mastermind like Vic Fangio, I I just I don't even I, I can't even put into words how excited that would be and what it would mean for this defense. But it's not gonna happen. No. So in the real world. The player I want is Henry Ruggs. And I I was on the fence up until we had Benjamin Albright on to preview free agency. And he has been on the, the Henry Ruggs train for months, the orange and blur. What he can do to this offense, what he did to Alabama, and I've said this, Benjamin Albright said it, a quarter of the time, when Henry Ruggs touches the ball, he scores touchdowns. That is incredible. He makes the offense better. It'll make Cortland Sutton better. It'll make Noah Fant better. It will make Tim Patrick and Deshaun Hamilton better. It will make Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon better. And most importantly, it will make Drew Locke better.
2: That's the key that you just that you just mentioned. And, and so I'm kind of in the same boat. I don't have a specific player that like I'm all in on this guy or that guy. You know, I don't really, I don't really do that anymore with the draft uh, because you know, you fall in love with these players and then they break your heart. Cause they don't get drafted by your team. I are like love, Vince
3: Vaughn from Dodgeball yeah. where you, you don't have a plan because if you do, you, you, you can't Go be disappointed.
2: Plan. Can't be disappointed if you don't have a plan. That's right. And and so I'm I'm not going to disappoint myself, but what I will say is, as we have talked about, putting points on the board is the only thing that the Broncos haven't been able to do over the course of the last 5 seasons, 6 seasons if you really want to if you really want to dive into it. And that to me is is their downfall. That's what keeps them out of the playoffs, that's what prevents them from being a, a premier team in the NFL right now. And you again, you need look no further than their division rival in the Kansas City Chiefs as to how important it is in today's NFL to be able to score points and score points in bunches. And the way that you can score points in bunches is by putting players on the field who are explosive and who have a nose for the end zone. And so would I be disappointed if they drafted a, an offensive tackle with the 15th pick? Actually, yeah, probably would. Uh, because at this point, I don't think a, a guy like him, uh, was it Makai Becton or a Tristan Wirfs or, you know, offensive linemen to me, aren't going to make this offense that much better. They are not going to put points on the board in the same way that a player like a Henry Ruggs would. So for me, Henry Ruggs, uh, C.D. Lamb, Jerry Judy, I don't care. One, one of those guys would be the the perfect pick for me at 15. I don't, however, like the idea, and I'm, I'm gonna sort of fall in line with Scotty on this one. I don't like the idea of of, of giving up picks to move up in the draft. I, I, I like the idea of of getting draft capital. I like the idea of having draft capital, but I, I'm I'm just not sure I feel uh, like it's super necessary in this draft to trade up for a wide receiver. And part of that is the depth at wide receiver. If you look at how many players there are in this draft, how many wide receivers there are in this draft that would have that type of impact, maybe not as much as Henry Ruggs, but similar to, I, I just don't see the need to trade up. If Ruggs is there at 15 and, and they don't draft him, I think then, then we're talking about that's a disappointing uh, move. That's a mistake. Whereas if he's, if he's I, I guess, maybe I'll, I'll back up on that one a little bit. Ian, I apologize. Uh, maybe if he's you know if he's still there at 11 or 12 and you feel like you need to make a move to ensure that you get him. Okay, fine. And we've talked about that. Go get your guy. And I have said that. But if, if go get your guy means trade up to the seventh pick for Henry Ruggs, you are probably giving up a lot more capital at that point and i may not be okay with it but if it means moving up to 10, 11, 12 i'm i'm in on that. Then i'm fine with that as long as you're not giving up too much. But i think i think what we've come to the conclusion as Bronco fans is we want points. Like i i, I miss those Peyton we we're we're talking about it, we'll talk about it a little bit more later. I miss those Peyton Manning days that 2012, 2013 Denver Broncos that just scored every time they touch the football.
3: Except the Super Bowl. You
2: know, we didn't have to mention it. I mean, everybody was thinking it. We were all there. We were all watching it. But you're, you're right. It was one of those... that was Those were magical offensive teams. And it would be nice to get back to something like that. And I'm not saying that Drew Locke is Peyton Manning. And I'm not saying they're going to create an offense that can do that. But to get back to something similar or to start heading back in that direction, you've got to have playmakers. And, and so I guess... Long story short, too long, didn't read. Yeah, give me Henry Ruggs. That's fine.
3: Well, think about that 2013 offense that made it to, what, Super Bowl 48. Super Bowl 48 Against the Seattle Seahawks. Think of the weapons Peyton Manning had. He had Demarius Thomas. He had Eric Decker. He had Wes Welker. He had Julius Thomas.
2: Was- and
3: all this talk about, is Cortland Sutton going to be offended if the Broncos draft Henry Ruggs? No, he will not. Because it'll make his job easier. It'll probably make it more likely that he gets one-on-one coverage. Yeah, I, than he would right now.
2: I I love to think about like think about the catches that you saw Cortland Sutton make in 2019 from Joe Flacco, from what was his name, Brandon Allen, from I, was, I already forgot his name, from from Drew Locke. Think about some of the amazing catches that he made. Some of them were in double coverage. Some of them were in tight coverage. If if other wide receivers can command attention, Cortland Sutton becomes better. I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. And, and you mentioned something really important. You mentioned four pass catchers. Four that were incredibly important to that offense that went to the Super Bowl and the one that didn't, that should have.
3: Four. And, and how many touchdowns did Peyton Manning throw that 2013
0: season? I
2: believe it was 55. 55. That's a double nickel, y'all. That's Michael Jordan in the in the garden. I, I mean, y- you don't see that. You won't see that. I don't believe you'll see that again. Well, maybe you'll see it again, but I hope not, uh, because it means that probably Patrick Mahomes did it, and so let's, let's hope we don't see it. But it, it, it putting up that, those kinds of numbers, you don't do it with one guy who's really good, who would be insulted if you drafted another wide receiver? Like, that, that doesn't happen. It happens when you have weapon after weapon after weapon after weapon, and you can just pick a guy and you know you're gonna be successful. And if I'm Drew Locke, no offense to Cortland Sutton, but the guy who's going to become the face of this franchise, if this works properly, is Drew Locke. And so he's the guy you gotta worry about making happy, not Cortland Sutton, who I know we all love. Right? We, I love Cortland Sutton. He's one of my favorite players right now in the Denver Broncos. But if you told me that drafting Henry Ruggs would upset Cortland Sutton and make Drew Locke happy, I would shrug my so- shoulders and say, that's too bad for Cortland, man, because that's what makes the team better right there.
3: And in terms of trading up, I wouldn't trade up higher than 10. I think it's it's 10 to 12 because I think the key team in the in the top 10 to 11 picks is the Arizona Cardinals. Since they traded for DeAndre Hopkins and Bill O'Brien is such a moron that he he basically traded DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson and Brandon Cooks. I, I just, I, you probably couldn't even do that on Madden, but Bill O'Brien did it in real life because he's an idiot.
2: I feel like Scotty tried it on Madden. Maybe it, maybe it wasn't Scotty who I saw that did this and I'd love to ask him. I think Scotty tried it and Madden told him no. <laughs> Like you can't make that trade. That's a dumb trade. You can't do that.
3: So the key is going to be what does Cliff Kingsbury and the Arizona Cardinals do with their number eight pick? Do they add another weapon on top of the ones they have in Larry Fitzgerald and uh DeAndre Hopkins? And then there's uh Christian Kirk. So they have some weapon. Do they add another one or do they go tackle? Yeah. Because I think true. the likely scenario if they go with receiver is CD Lamb, because Kyler Murray prayed, played with him at the University of Oklahoma. But if they go tackle, then you have your pick of receivers at 10. Because what the Jets may go tackle, they may go receiver. The Raiders, you would think, would add a receiver, but this is the same organization that drafted a defensive tackle that nobody would have taken until the third round with their fourth pick last year. So, to me, it, the key in terms of receivers is the eighth pick with the Cardinals, and then if you have your pick, you you definitely move up to ten, and then you get your guy, because I think the move up from fifteen to ten may may take a third round pick, while well, the Broncos have two of them.
2: Yeah, no, I, as as long as the price is right, and and that's where that that sort of gets into the the draft nick area of those guys who know sort of the ins and outs of those things and and we all know personally I'm not I'm not a huge draft guy when it comes to that kind of stuff like I don't I don't I don't get too far into that but just the idea of being able to pick who you want to pick is I think a very important thing what what fascinates me about the things you just said and I, and I think that this is one of those uh, moments that is is really interesting you mentioned essentially three teams all three teams had essentially the same need, wide receiver and offensive tackle. And so, and I think you could probably throw in a fourth or a fifth team with some of that as well. What do, you know, what do these teams do that need an offensive tackle and a wide receiver? Because let's face it, the Denver Broncos could use an offensive tackle. There's, there's no doubt about that. If the Broncos picked a tackle, and, and we talked about this uh, last week, I believe it was, the idea of, Picking a tackle and then having the opportunity, maybe maybe I heard it on Broncos country tonight now that my brain's kicking in a little more. The idea of taking a tackle and then having a, you know, Juwan James and Garrett Bowles and insert tackle name here compete for those two tackle positions and then maybe sliding that third tackle to a guard position and putting Graham Glasgow at center. That's certainly something that's a possibility as well. Do I think it's a great idea? Uh, not really, but it's there. And it's just sort of fascinating to me that the Denver Broncos have essentially the same needs as, as a lot of other teams out there. I think all of the teams in the NFL, it's a copycat league, are looking for ways to score points in bunches and looking for ways to get weapons on the field, much like the Kansas City Chiefs have done. And that led them to a Super Bowl. So it's got to work for us, right? That's sort of the idea. Uh, same thing with the Rams. The Rams ended up going to a Super Bowl because of all of the weapons that they had uh, that sort of fell apart on them in two thousand nineteen. But who knows? maybe they'll they'll sort of make a an offensive comeback in 2020. So it, it is fascinating to note how many of these teams have similar needs. Can you convince one of those teams that you have similar needs with to maybe make a deal so that you can get like the the guy that you know is gonna fit in your franchise? as compared to waiting and letting the draft sort of fall to you and taking the leftovers, right? And that's sort of where teams are at. I I guess it's all going to just have to play out.
3: That's why I think the 10th spot is the prime spot, because then you leapfrog the Jets. Then you're not having to worry about dealing with the Jets or the Raiders who pick 11th and 12th. And off the top of my head, I cannot remember who picks 10th, so it's time to... It's time Get to out the Google machine. Get out
2: the Google machine. You know it's interesting, and as you're googling that, I will note uh, this is also the time when Scotty would talk about how uh, annoying it is that the Broncos won those la- You know, won, won those, won some of those last few games because now instead of drafting ten, they're drafting fifteen, right? And instead of drafting eight, they're draft. You know, so had had Drew Lock not performed as well they would have had a, 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 a much better draft pick, but we wouldn't be talking about Drew Locke in the same way. It's an interesting conundrum to be in based on just where the season ended up after Drew Locke
3: took over. The number 10th pick is the Cleveland Browns. That's who I see. I knew it was something weird like that. So I, I think that's that's where you see, depending on what the Cardinals do at number eight, what then Elway could do. And I think for, those, for, the, for the, the Broncos fans who want an offensive lineman crowd. I've said this for weeks. I think the most likely scenario is the second round pick and potentially trading back into the first round to get them. And two of the players that we've thrown out are Cesar Ruiz and Lloyd Cushenberry. I've seen reports that the Baltimore Ravens love Cesar Ruiz and not just because of the Harbaugh connection, but because the Ravens are in need of an interior offensive lineman and I think if you if you want to get someone like Caesar Ruiz, you'll probably have to get back into the first round to get him. If you want Lloyd Cushenberry, you could probably stay put. So there'll there'll be options there for the Broncos in the second round to get an interior to get an interior offensive lineman, which they need. If you get a center that that allows Graham Glasgow to push out to right guard, if they don't get anybody. I know, and I've heard that Mike Munchak really loves Elijah Wilkinson. So potentially Graham Glasgow goes to center, and Elijah Wilkinson slips in at right guard. So there are some some there are some possibilities. I think offensive lineman is the most likely scenario in the second round after they get their receiver in the first.
2: Yeah, I totally agree with that. And, and and you know what? We'll we'll dive deeper into the draft as we get a little closer to it. Obviously, but it it is one of those scenarios where I think the Broncos have telegraphed their pick just just like they have in the past. I think that they, they have made it pretty apparent that there's two positions that they have a need at and there's one that they are really targeting and that is wide receiver. And, and I think their moves in free agency also indicate that, that those are the two directions that they're going to go in the draft because they went out and they did Uh, They did pick up guys on defense and they and they went out and got Melvin Gordon and they, you know, they made those moves with the drafts and the signings and and keeping Shelby Harris in the fold that allowed them to sort of put the defense on the back burner and focus almost primarily on offense when it comes to the draft, which, you know, like Benjamin Albright started saying uh, many months ago, uh, they're going to uh, use free agency for the defense and draft the offense. That's that seems to be what's what's actually happening. All right. Um, let's go ahead and let's shift gear a little bit, right? Let's shift gear to a little bit of news. Uh, I figure we could start just by mentioning the Broncos did uh, sign Deontay Spencer to uh, a deal. I, didn't, I actually didn't see the deal specifically, but he's back in the mix. Nice to have he a He signed good his tender, man. actually. Yeah, his tender, excuse me. So back in the mix. Uh, good to have a good return man. I think that we've uh we all know how important it is to be able to flip the field that's why punter can be so important it's also why punt returner and kick returner can be important because that flips the field as well when you've got a guy who can move the football so there's there's that news i don't know that we need to dwell on it unless you've got something you want to add
3: well in terms of returner that the the, if they get a guy like henry ruggs he could potentially be a kick returner or a punt returner if they deem that he's capable of doing that for the, for the Broncos special teams.
2: Sure. So, you know, there's that, uh, but the news that sort of popped recently that I think is really fascinating and something that we could definitely get into is, is the Christian McCaffrey extension that was signed uh, I believe on uh, was it Monday. Monday. Yeah. Monday, uh, Monday evening, Monday afternoon, sort of a, uh, it, it brings about a very fascinating argument, right? There's a, there's a certain NFL argument out there about, paying running backs and uh, we've had it recently in Denver with the Melvin Gordon contract and how big that was and there are there are several people who are on the list of don't pay running backs right you can just go find running backs anywhere and everywhere but Christian McCaffrey to me is is maybe I think he's above that conversation Uh, and I'm curious to know what your take on that is because I think he's he's proven to be enough of a weapon just offensively in general that he reminds me of of what Marshall Falk used to be for the St. Louis Rams, which was huge in both offense, uh, both fa- uh, facets of the offense, running and passing. That that to me is like what Christian McCaffrey is, and he really makes that offense tick.
3: I can see both sides of it because there's the side that says he is the offense, so you have to pay him. But there's also the other side that says. What has it done for the Panthers? How many games has it led them to win? So I get both sides of it. I don't think it's one or the other. I think it can be a situation where it's both. They haven't been as good as the Panthers have been in the middle of the decade the last couple of years. And a lot of that has to deal with Von Miller owning Cam Newton and not letting him play. But I think Daddy sometimes tells you what you what you have to do, and you have to listen to Daddy. But I think so. Think about it this way: If you don't pay Christian McCaffrey, what does that do to the Panthers' offense?
2: Oh, it decimates it. In fact, if you don't pay him, uh, I'm not big on on the idea of if you don't pay him, it hurts the fan base, right? Like there are some people out there, like, well, he's the face of the franchise. You got to give him money because then the fans are angry yeah, the fans are angry, but they'll be back, right? The fans aren't really going anywhere because you didn't give Christian McCaffrey an extension. I don't, I don't think that's really an issue. But when you really don't have anything else to begin with, and he is not just the face of the franchise, but literally the best player on your team, you you got to pay the best player on your team. And he makes that offense better. With, I, I guess the argument is without Christian McCaffrey putting up the numbers that he
3: puts up, do they lose every game? Because it certainly feels possible. It's definitely more likely. I think in a situation like this, you have to pay to keep him because of what he brings. And if you're able to get the other pieces in play, you mentioned the Rams, the greatest show on turf. If they're able to get an Isaac Bruce or a Tory Holt, that will make Christian McCaffrey better because as we've touched on with the 2013 Broncos, you can't cover all of them.
2: That's true. You can't cover all of them.
3: And Christian McCaffrey has already proven that he can be the offense even when opposing defenses know he's the only thing in it. So teams are gearing up to stop him, and he's still doing this. So if you're able to add a couple of receivers, whether it's in the draft this year or next year or in free agency, that's only going to make Christian McCaffrey better. So, of course, you have to pay him. And the thing that I like about this deal, unlike the the deal that – Jerry Jones and the Cowboys gave to Ezekiel Elliott where it was a six-year deal. This is a four-year deal. So this is a much better deal in terms of a running back and it helps the organization while also paying your best player.
2: Yeah, I totally agree with that. You know, it's interesting when, you know, I bring up Marshall Falk and you talk about the greatest show on turf. One of the things that the greatest show on turf had was a quarterback. They had a hall of fame quarterback. And so having a Hall of Fame quarterback is important. Having just a competent quarterback makes that team better. And so you you pay your, you pay your franchise running back, and you know that if you can bring in a competent quarterback, that's going to make the team that much better. And I'm going I'm to bring this back to the Broncos a little bit because the, the argument with Melvin Gordon was that that contract was too much and he's not going to have that kind of impact on the offense that warrants the amount of money that he's going to get from Denver. I actually think that that's that's not quite right. I think that what you will, at least I hope that what you will see, is that with competent quarterback play from Drew Locke, who has now had a full year in the system, five games under his belt, will have a full offseason with uh, his new offensive coordinator and Pat Shermer, you're going to see that impact be exponentially better than having signed Melvin Gordon, but maybe still having Joe Flacco as your quarterback who wasn't competent. And if you look at what happened to the Rams post Kurt Warner, they kind of fell apart. And if you look at, if you look at teams and i I know the QB wins, people are going to be all over me on this because you know, quarterback wins. That's not a stat. I, I have to disagree with that because when you look at the greatest teams in the history of the NFL, what you find is that they often had great quarterbacks. Maybe it wasn't, Hall of Fame quarterback, but it was competent quarterback play that made the offense better. And you don't get that from, from bad quarterbacks. And if Drew Locke can be a competent quarterback, Melvin Gordon will flourish just like Philip Lindsay will, just like Cortland Sutton will, just like uh, you know Tim Patrick and Deshaun Hamilton and Noah Fant and, and potentially Henry Ruggs or whoever they draft. And I think that's the point you make with Christian McCaffrey. You keep C- Christian McCaffrey in the fold for a gajillion dollars, you know, six, you know, $16 million a year contract. But now, they, now the Panthers, if they really want to complete the puzzle, have to go find co- competent quarterback play. That's what's going to make that team better. But losing Christian McCaffrey only makes that team worse. That's the only thing that happens if they don't keep Christian McCaffrey in the fold, is that team gets worse. And so I actually have no problem with that contract, just like I really don't have a problem with the Melvin Gordon contract if things work out and the Broncos put more points on the board, which I think they will.
3: I, I totally agree with that. And I think it, it, it just, it all adds to what the offense wants to do, what it needs to do. And that's score points. It's been what Elway and Fangio have talked, talked about and touched on since January. And that's the offense has to score points. And in, the best way to do that is to give as many weapons as possible to drew lock.
2: All right. On that note, let's go ahead and take a, a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about the, uh, the best Broncos teams in and, and the history of the franchise.
1: Anatomy of an ad subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U S like I am now identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. All
2: right, so Ian, you brought up a kind of an interesting topic that I thought would, you know, we thought would be fun to talk about. You were watching the NFL Network and they were doing their top 100 teams in the history of the NFL. So let's talk about the top Denver Broncos teams in the history of the Denver Broncos, because I think that there are there are definitely some teams on the list, but then the order that they go in and the arguments that can be made are, are, are super fascinating.
3: So just to give everyone an idea, the three Super Bowl winning teams for the Broncos, the 2015 Broncos were 58. The 97, wait, hold on, I, t- I take that back. The 97 Broncos were 58. The 2015 Broncos were 50th, and then the 98 Broncos were 14th. And then the 2013 Broncos were like, so that was the offense that we just talked about, was 68th or something like that.
2: What about the, did you mention the, the 97 Broncos?
3: Yeah, the 97 Broncos, I believe, were, were 58th, okay. and then the 2015 Broncos were 50th. That's right. And then... I, I might have those two mixed up, but I do know the 98 Broncos were 14th.
2: That's too, that's too low. That's just too low. Right. I mean, sorry
3: to me. I think that team should be in the top 10. I I think, it, and we, we touched on this. I could maybe list five teams. That team doesn't beat in history. Yeah, I think. And I, and I think that the two best defenses maybe the three best defenses aside from the 2015 Broncos. I would love to see what that offense in 98 would have been able to do against the 85 Bears, the 2000 Ravens, and the 2003 Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, I would love to have seen what that offense could do against those defenses.
2: Well, and, and the the point of that, which is really interesting to me, is how close those teams are time-wise, right? The, the league rules – hadn't changed so much from, well, I guess the 85 Bears, they had changed a lot to 98. But then the 2000 Ravens and the 2003 Bucks, those two defenses, the the league rules hadn't changed so much that it would have made a a big difference. One of the things that you run into when you talk about, would this team beat that team? Uh, Obviously, you know, some of the greatest teams from the 50s and 60s and 70s, they wouldn't be able to keep up with the best teams from the 90s and the 2000s. Just because of the change in rules and the change in athleticism, uh, you know, and you know, the old man always talks about, well, if you were great then, you would be great, you would be great today because uh, you would train. And, and I totally get that argument, but rule wise, the difference in rules really does make the the comparisons difficult. Whereas that '98 team is close enough to the 2000 Ravens and the 2003 Bucks that the rule changes that were there, if there were any of any significance. I don't think really made it that much of a a different argument. And I think you could say that those teams you could compare very easily. The other thing I will say is when we talk about greatest teams in Broncos history, and we look at that 2015 defense, to me, that defense needs to be ranked higher in all-time ranks because of the offensive era that it was born out of the Denver Broncos defense of 2015 had to deal with offenses that had wide receivers that could pretty much do whatever they want. Cause if you touch a wide receiver, it's pass interference. The rules that protect the quarterbacks are incredibly different. So if like you look at like what the 85 bears were able to do as a defense, that was a great defense. Certainly one of the top two or three defenses, five defenses in the history of the NFL, but they didn't have to deal with the same restrictions on the field. That the 2015 Broncos had to deal with, which is why I always talk about the Broncos 2015 defense as needing to be ranked higher because of what they were able to do in an era that pretty much requires you to score 30 points a game to win. They didn't have to because the defense was able to uh, prevent teams from scoring points. That being said, you, we do have our you know we do want to look at well what are the best teams in Denver Broncos history.
3: And to me, the the no doubt, no brainer, no duh team, the best in franchise history, and it's not close, is that '98 team, because as you touched on, that team started to get its its feet underneath it in the playoffs in 1997 when it when it went on the road and beat Kansas City in Arrowhead, went on the road, beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in then Three Rivers Stadium, and then beat the Packers as a fourteen. 14- basically a 14-point underdog. And then it went on that, what, 14-game winning streak, 13-game winning streak in 1997? 13-game winning streak. I, I guess it would be 98. And they just blew teams out. Like, it wasn't even close. They knew they were the best team on the field. They were the best team in the league. And games were over by halftime. I remember talking with my wife about this team. Games were over at halftime. The fact that Terrell Davis got to 2,000 yards is a small miracle given that he he hardly ever played in the fourth quarter. That wow. team just blew people out. And it wasn't just the offense. That defense was dominant. When you had Neil Smith and Alfred Williams on the edges, you had Bill Romanowski, you had Steve Atwater – and Tyrone Braxton as your safeties. You had Ray Crockett and Darian Gordon as your cornerbacks. And Darian Gordon was kind of like a keep to leave for that defense where he made plays. Yeah. he He's, he's picks, underrated
2: when you talk about punt returns. returns. Yep.
3: So that 98 team is, is no doubt in my mind is the best team in Broncos franchise history.
2: Yeah, agreed. And you'll get no argument from me. And I doubt you'll get a lot of argument from people who, no Broncos history, right? I mean, you'll get some young guys out there uh, who maybe don't, maybe didn't watch those teams. But you, you, brought up a really interesting point there. I remember the diff the difference between the '97 team and the '98 team, and those teams, those that's your back to back Super Bowl winning teams. In '97, they were they were great. They were that was a great team, but they had issues, and they ended up faltering a little bit down the you know down the stretch of the regular season that caused them to have to go through a wild card spot and make that incredible playoff run which to me is still one of the most incredible playoff runs in Super Bowl history that 98 team and and like you said there wasn't a single game that year that the Broncos didn't expect to win not just just win but they didn't expect to blow out the the opponent and they blew teams out and to me, that's that's the most dominant football team I think I have ever seen, period. And I'm I'm including the 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 what is it, eighteen and one, uh, New England Patriots who were a very dominant team, uh, and quite frankly, the 2012 and 2013 Denver Broncos who were all, both very dominant teams. The expectation was different, the the feeling was different. Expecting to win is one thing, right? I, I think that that's sort of uh, something that most most players expect to win most fans when they have a good team expect to win it wasn't an expectation of winning it was an expectation of dominance which really puts that team on a different level and and you know when you say well they were the 14th best that's to me that's that's that media bias thing so so if you take that team and say okay 98 is is clearly the best clearly far and away what comes after that or what how do how do you look at those teams how do you look at the great teams in the history of Denver Broncos and and rank them and maybe before we do that let's go through some of them because we talked about 97 the team we haven't touched on is the 96 team that 96 team i think was better than the 97 team and then they lost in that uh, divisional round playoff game to the Jacksonville Jaguars which was one that we don't like to, we don't like to talk about it but we definitely are going to when you talk about the Peyton Manning era you have 2012, you have 2013, and then obviously that 2015 Super Bowl win. When you talk about older teams, you can go all the way back to the 77 team that went to the Super Bowl that was the turnaround team for the franchise. Where do you rank them? Like what is the order that you put those teams in? And then there are some other teams in there that you can certainly talk about.
3: So after the 98 Broncos, I think right now I have it as a tie. And I know that's that's a cop-out but i i cannot set these teams apart because they were so different and from so different eras in 1997 that team was that that defense was just insane and obviously it was before i was born but hearing tales of you talking about, right
2: you said 97 it's okay
3: i'm with you God. so so 77 <laughs> Obviously, it was before I was born, but to hear my mom talk about it, to have stories that you share about your old man watching that team, and obviously just reading on it, that team was special. That defense especially was special. And then you take the 2012 Denver Broncos, the first year that Peyton Manning played in Denver. To me, those two teams are tied for second best in franchise history because this stat is just—I still cannot believe it—in Super Bowl 12 against the Dallas Cowboys in Louisiana, in New Orleans, Craig Morton and the Broncos turned the ball over six times. Six is a lot. If you're if you're curious, six is a lot. And that defense still only allowed 24 points.
2: When when you talk about great defenses, and we we just did a little bit that defense probably doesn't get nearly enough coverage right they they i would certainly argue that they um that they should be ranked higher almost every time that you see rankings of those defenses and that defense really does um which really does stand out as just one of those it's just one of those teams where you go unbelievable how good that team was and and then you brought up the the 2012 Denver Broncos, Peyton Manning's first year. And if you look at where that team stood after six games when they got to their bye week, they were three and three. They were they were three and three when they got to their bye week. Week seven was their bye week. They came out of their bye week and they ran the table. They went straight through everybody. It was, uh, you know, they beat the Saints, the Bengals, the Panthers. I'm just looking through their schedule here. They beat the Chargers. They beat the Chiefs. It feels so long ago. They, they beat the Bucks. They beat the Raiders, they beat the Ravens, they beat the Browns, they beat the Chiefs again, it still feels so long ago. And then you have the playoff loss. That playoff loss to the Baltimore Ravens that still stings. If that team, if that team hadn't faltered, if John Fox hadn't taken a knee, perhaps, we're talking about a 2012 Denver Broncos team that that I think owns that Super Bowl. Not not just wins it, but I, I think you're talking about a blowout win that that rivals the 2013 blowout that the Broncos experienced on the wrong side of things. That's how good that team was. So like when, when you talk about well you split hairs on that one and you kind of say you know 2 a and 2B, I have no doubt in my mind that 2012 team is better than that 77 team. Just just because of how good that offense was and the fact that that defense was pretty good that year as well. I I under I, I know, I know. No, that's a, that's a great team. That's a great team that just didn't get it done when they needed to.
3: It wasn't just an okay defense. That defense was great. They were top five on offense and defense. So I, 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 you, you convinced me. Yeah. That 2012 team is the second best in franchise history. And then it's the 1977 Broncos. And and you will hear people talk about this, and it will be for as long as there are people walking this earth who are Broncos fans. Had that Broncos defense, had the Orange Crush, had any sort of an offense, they would have won the Super Bowl. And that's why that defense is not talked about as some of the greatest in history. Because had it won a Super Bowl, my hope is – that it would be viewed like the Kansas City Chiefs in the 60s who have all those hall of famers which is way too many but it's because they won Super Bowl 4. It's because they beat the Vikings. Had that team in 1977 won the Super Bowl it would be talked about as one of the greatest in history and it still should be but that's the reason it's not. So right now we have the 98 Broncos, the 2012 Broncos, the 1977 Broncos and then I have the '97 Broncos that won the first Super Bowl in franchise history.
2: Yeah, I'm going to go a different direction on you on this, and I, I think it maybe is a little bit unexpected. I'm going to go with the uh, the 2013 Broncos, uh, the 2013 Broncos that lost the Super Bowl to the uh, the Seattle Seahawks, and for the sole purpose of how good the offense was, that was the year that Peyton Manning set the record for most touchdowns uh, in a season. That that offense scored points at will. And, uh, they fell apart in the Super Bowl, and I totally get that, but that is one of the, that is, that is one of the most exciting teams I've ever seen play football. And as much as I love John Elway and I loved growing up in the eighties and nineties and experiencing that run, if you put the 97 Broncos on the same field as the 2013 Broncos, I just think Peyton Manning and that offense are, are too strong. And I, and I think, I think that's, we're going to, we're going to, sort of disagree on this i i go 2013 and then i go 97
3: i actually have the 2015 broncos above the 2013 broncos because i i can't get over what happened in the super bowl and maybe it's because i don't like john fox but i gave john fox the benefit of the doubt for the 2012 team
2: no i i get it i you know what i i think if you just sort of Take John Fox out of the equation, and you just look at the product on the field. He he was the head coach. Uh, That 2013 team was was so good, and it really was so good. And they had the I think they really only had one bad game. (laughs) If you if you go back and look at that that season. They, you know, thirteen and three again, which is apparently a bad record for the Broncos to have, because anytime they go thirteen and three, it doesn't work out very well. Twelve and four. Two thousand <laughs> twelve. See nineteen ninety 12, 12 and four is great. Thirteen and three doesn't work for the Denver Broncos, but I, and I would love to see them break that. But the two thousand fifteen defense, and when when you talk about defenses, to me that that was a great defense. And they won the Super Bowl. They they sort of John elway that team to the Super Bowl. If you think about it, you could compare what that defense did in 2015 with what John Elway did in the 86 and 87 seasons, dragging those Denver Broncos teams to the Super Bowl. And they were able to sort of mission accomplished, right, get the job done. So I, I ended up putting 15 there. Best defense on the list, I think. And I, and I know that you're, you would argue with me and say it's 77. I think if you were ranking those defenses – I would take the 2015 defense. You would take the 77 defense, neither one of us would be wrong. I, mean, I think that's that's how great those two defenses were. But that team in general, to me, it just I don't think it would have been able to keep up with what Peyton Manning and the Denver Broncos were doing in 2013. And I know the argument is we'll look at what the Seahawks did. So many so many factors play into that. Big, you know, you know, big game scenario, weather, you know, a cold weather Super Bowl. You can't tell me that if they played that game in sunny Miami or inside a dome, that the Denver it would Rocks have been worse. I don't. I see. I don't think so. I, I really don't. I think it would have been would have been better. Peyton Manning wasn't great in the cold. No doubt about it. Peyton Manning was not great in the cold. So, uh, yeah, I don't. I don't twenty thirteen is just just a little just an ouch, right? Just an ouch above the twenty fifteen team in my book.
3: And the reason I have 2015 above it is because of how special Von Miller was in the playoffs because that that was one of the best defensive performances that anyone has ever seen in NFL history. I mean, it, it's better than De- anything Derek Thomas ever did because he never got to the
2: playoffs. <laughs> I guess he never had the chance, but still. no. I, 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 guess, and, I th- and I
3: think the closest thing would be Lawrence Taylor in the 80s. I mean, he, he took games over. Von Miller took over. The AFC championship game, he took over the Super Bowl. And to me, that's no why idea. I have that. That's why I have that team above the 2013 team. Because it it got the job done. It it got it done when it needed to. And I can't have two John Fox teams that <laughs> high.
2: I just can't do it. It just makes you feel icky. I yeah, I totally get that. I, I do. I totally get that. Uh I think after that, for me, um God, it's it's tough. Like you start going through the through the teams. You know we've got ninety two that ninety two Broncos team that went to the AFC Championship game and lost to the Bills what was the 10 score to seven. Say the score of that game was like four to nothing or something like that. It was just awful. Uh, that was a that was a really really good team. They just they just couldn't. I mean that Bills team was really good as well. I, I do think that if you're being fair to history, y- you've got to remember how good that those Buffalo Bills teams were. Four straight Super Bowls is an accomplishment that a great team can can, you know, i you can't ignore that. So that that Denver Broncos team, that 92 team was really good. I you know, I go back to 86 and 87. How great were those teams? Not great. Right? I think it's fair to say they weren't great teams. They had some great players. Uh, you know, some some guys on defense that were incredible. Carl Mecklenburg, Simon Fletcher, uh, you know, Dennis Smith. You, you had great players on those defenses. Steve, you had, Foley Steve Foley in the '86 against yeah.
3: the Giants and in, in Super Bowl what twenty?
2: Super Bowl, I believe that was twenty. Yeah, that sounds right. But those teams were about John Elway, and again, I know QB wins. People are gonna jump all over me here. Those wins were John Elway's wins. John Elway was the best team, was the best player on those teams, not just by a little bit, but by far, and was the reason that they won those games. And so to me, it's like you you almost put have to put '86 and '87 pick your order because they're kind of the same teams and then, you know, be done with it. I guess you don't have Tom Jackson on, on the team after 86, right? He retired after that Super Bowl loss to the giants, which is too bad for him. So, you know what, because, because he's on that team, I'm going to say 86 and then 87. That'll be my order because Tom Jackson was on the team.
3: And the reason I have that team from 86 above the team from 87 is because my mom has told me this. That was the team that should have won the Super Bowl. Of the three teams that went to the Super Bowl those four years, that was the Super Bowl they should have won against Phil Sims and the Giants. That was the game they should have won.
2: Yeah, and the opportunity, for
3: sure. Obviously, I wasn't old enough at the time to know it, watching it, because that was the first Super Bowl I remember watching. But having gone back and, and looked at it, that absolutely should have been the Super Bowl that the Broncos lost. And I to me I I have the '96 Broncos right there with that '86 team. I might have '96 above '86, but it
2: hurts my heart a little bit more the '96 team. So I, I kind of just because it because it bothers me so much. I think just like you with John Fox and the fact that <laughs> they you know you can't have two John Fox. I can't have I can't have two. You know, that one that one hurts. That one's the one that that gets me the most. Like. Even more, even more, even more than the 2013 loss in the Super Bowl. Even more than, you know, we haven't even talked about the 1990 team that lost to the 49ers. Even more than the I'll 2012 loss to the Raiders. We don't, we don't talk about that. Even more than the 2012 I, loss.
3: I'll say that I think that team might have been the, the one of the best in NFL here. And I get it. The 72 Dolphins will always be at the top because they're the only perfect team to ever do it. Sure, and then you're 18-1. That, that 90 yeah. team... That was an incredible football team
2: an incredible football team
3: they, I think they would have beaten anybody that they played in the Super Bowl that year I, and they may have beaten any team in history at that point you know that was that they were just a machine
2: I want to know how they lost games like if, if you think about it if I was in the NFL and I was on a team that beat the San Francisco 49ers in 1990 and people asked me what was your greatest accomplishment that might be that might be the thing I say. Well, you know, I was on a team that beat the San Francisco 49ers in nineteen ninety. You were? That's insane. How did you guys do that? Um I don't know. I how about out. this?
3: As good as that team was, how about it was basically the same team in ninety one that yeah. lost to the Giants in the it, what is it, the NFC championship game? Uh-huh. So the Giants went on the road to San Francisco and uh-huh. beat that team. I, I i it was obviously talked about when they were talking about the teams, but everyone expected that team to three peak it would have been the only team in NFL history to win three straight super bowls and it was like a lock i mean cuz that team didn't change from that season to the next i think the only difference was that the first year with with george seifert um i believe i, I think believe. that was the first year with seifert as the head coach that wasn't it lost the second to the jags didn't wasn't it george might, seifert it the been, head
2: coach when they beat I, the again, Broncos?
3: I, that might have been so I think I think that was a, it might have
2: been the first year without was it the first year without John Taylor? Is that, Is that a possibility? I mean, so I mean, those forty nine obviously maybe those Matt Millen wasn't on the team anymore. I can't remember uh, those. So 49ers those forty nine ers teams
3: are obviously going to be in, in in the top sure. in the top ten. Yeah. But yeah, that's why I will not I will not list that that ninety or eighty nine Broncos team. And so let's recap what we have. So I have. We both have the 98 Broncos as the as the top and it's not even close. 2012 because I 90, did such a good job convincing you. 77. And then this is where we differ. I have uh the 97 Broncos that won the first Super Bowl in franchise history as fourth and then I have the 2015 Broncos as fifth.
2: And I have 2013 as fourth and what did I say as fifth? I'm trying to get a look at my numbers here that's the day it's been then i have was it 97 96 i don't know listen to the tape i'm not worried about it what we what we do know is that the top is pretty is pretty obvious it's that 98 broncos team and I, to me again just to just to kind of go back to it uh that 98 broncos team was so good that it's and it really is about dominance and i think that's probably why when we talked about You know, the difference in some of those teams, that 2013 team to me with their dominance throughout the season, same concept, right? It's that same dominance that you got where it was not just an expectation of winning. It was an expectation of dominating. That's what that 98 Broncos team was. That's why they are sitting at the top of our list uh, because of how good that team was, just dominant in every phase of the
3: game. The thing that always stands out about that team, and Mark Schler talked about it, he touched about how in 97, it was a celebration. Like it was, they were, they partied, they, they went all out. And then that 98 team, it was like they took a deep breath because there was that expectation. They knew they wanted to be great, but the only way to be great was to go back to back. And when they did it, and when they beat the Atlanta Falcons in Super Bowl 33 in Miami, they were the sixth team in franchise in the NFL history to win back-to-back Super Bowls. And that's why it felt like a relief, because they knew to be great, they had to win Super Bowl 33.
2: And Here's to hoping that we'll be talking about Super Bowls like that again in short.
0: You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos.